to the Wafflers Halloween special. You will either shit your pants or come in your pants. Time will tell. <laughs> And welcome to the special Halloween edition podcast. I'm joined by the one, the only, the legendary Tom Slemon. You're right, Danny lad. Long time no see, fella. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good, Tom. Been very, very good, actually. Um, what, what about yourself? What, you, what, what, what have you been doing? Uh, I've been, I've been working on a novel, Danny lad. Uh, a spooky, scary novel. That I will be reading out at the end of this podcast, uh, at the end of this episode. Um, yeah, so you've got that to look forward to. But today I'm here to tell you a load of short mini horror stories, Danny lad. Thank you, thank you, Tom. I mean, that's why I booked you. Um, <clears throat> do, do you want to take us away now? Oh, of course I do, Danny lad. I'll take you away, all right. Uh, just before we start, a little... Uh, this one gets me a lot. Trick or treat, Danny lad. Ooh, Tom. I'll go with trick. Okay, Danny lad, you 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 said trick. Don't be blaming me now on a what will happen next. Yeah, there you go, Danny lad. Welcome to the Wafflers. I am your host, Craig Dodd. Welcome to my show. <laughs> oh, the hell, Tom! Don't do that, you scared me and everyone listening. You know, you're meant to be a mild horror story teller. Before we get into the, um, the meat of the sandwich of this episode, the, 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 the big subject of the horror story, uh, yeah, I haven't seen you for a, a while. Um, last time I seen you was like, was it like episode Wafflers FM, I think. Uh, oh, Wafflers FM, Daddy Lad, that was a great time in my life. It was just me and you for many of years in an alternative universe. 
the, the, the best of times, the greatest of times, no sad times apart from when you maybe swapped me with someone, uh, swapped you with someone else that I'm not quite pleased of. Um, but yes, obviously me and you go back quite some time. Do you remember when we used to sing, uh, like, we used to ring each other up? To all the listeners out there, me, me and Danny Lad used to ring each other up and sing uh, <laughs> songs to, to each other, didn't oh, we? Oh, we did, Tom. Yes, Danny Lad. We used to sing uh, Natasha, uh, what was her name? Natasha Beddingfield. So when me and Danny were in uh, university, we shared a, a dorm for all the listeners out there. And uh, I was obviously writing my novels and short stories and Danny used to used to uh, sing Natasha Bedingfield to me and I used to sing the the end of the the, the song to him so it, it went a little bit like this so it's uh, I hope you don't mind Danny lad try and find the magic trying to write a classic Whoa. don't you know don't you know don't you know waste bin full Whoa. of paper Clever, I'm see you later. And then I sing, These words are my own, from my heart flow. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, Daddy La Daddy. There's no other way to better say. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, Daddy Lad. Yeah, it was a great time. Wasn't ah, it? yes, it was, Tom. It was. Uh, great times, but the best left in the past, I always say, Tom. Right then, Tom, should we crack on with the actual Halloween podcast then? Yeah, of course, Danny lad. Uh, I've got a story right now. Uh, true story, obviously, like all of them. You know what I mean, Danny lad? Uh, so I'll get right into it. Kevin was scrolling through Tinder. He'd been unsuccessful for close to a year in his conquest for Puss. But all this was about to change, unbeknownst to Kevin. Sitting on his couch in his house in Bromborough, watching Gogglebox, when his phone all of a sudden got a notification. Kevin reached for his phone to find that he had a match on Tinder. Kevin's heart was racing, a lovely brunette with a very kind face, petite but with a big round batty, very much out of his league. Her name was Jade and she had a lot of similar interests as Kevin and also lived nearby. Kevin thinks to himself, maybe it's a mistake, this has happened a lot. He finds that it's normally friends messing about or she swiped right by mistake. But the next second, Jade messages, hi. Kevin's nervous but replies, hello, with a monkey covering his eyes emoji. The pair hit it off and over the next few days they talk pretty much non-stop and move from Tinder to WhatsApp. Kevin searched her on social media but has no luck finding her. Kevin's told all his co-workers about Jade and is very much smitten. That night things get a lot more sexual between the pair as Jade starts telling Kevin that she hasn't had sex in a very long time and she's found herself touching herself thinking of Kevin. She'd love for Kevin to send her a dick pic and she'd promised she'd send something back. Kevin was rock hard at this point and almost torn his hamstring trying to whip his pants off. He got his cock out and took a selfie from below so it looked bigger, Danny lad. Mmm, Jade wrote back. Next minute a video was sent to Kevin. 
Karen opened it to see Jade's little wet taco shell, with her fingers giving it a gentle stroke. Kevin nearly exploded with excitement. That's when Jade said, I've got an idea, why don't you meet me? Kevin replied, when? And Jade said, right now, meet me at Mill Park. Kevin replies with, but it's 11pm. Jade replies that she doesn't care because she wants Kevin right now. Kevin's blood isn't flowing to his brain at the moment and it is busy occupying other parts of his body instead, so he agrees. She asks him to meet her by the swings. Kevin can't believe what he's doing, but he gets dressed into his joggers and hoodie and even takes a condom. He drives to the local park and gets out and sits on a swing waiting for Jade. The last message he got was about her leaving 10 minutes prior. He sat on the swing for nearly 30 minutes looking at his surroundings. He felt so exposed out in the open at night time. Right in front of him was an abandoned public toilet which had been closed around the early 2000s. He was in a gated kids park sitting on a swing feeling pretty stupid. It was 11.40, the cold air had hit Kevin and made him come to his senses a bit. She isn't showing, he thinks. Maybe it was a prank, and it's his co-workers tricking him. He stood there like an idiot. But Kevin conflicted. He still wanted it to be real. He's grown to love the idea of Jade. He texts Jade and says, I'm going to go home. Sorry, I've been here for ages, and it's cold. As he stands up, Kevin's phone gets a message. He opens it, and he sees it's a photo of, Ke of him, Kevin, sitting on the swing with a message with it to say, come over here silly, I've been waiting for you. Kevin looks up at the public toilet and sees a phone waving above somebody's head. The hair on Kevin's neck stands up. What has he done? How long have they been there? Why wouldn't she just meet him face to face instead of meeting in a pitch black abandoned public toilet? Kevin turns and sprints to open the gate to the kids park and runs as fast as he could across the field towards his car. He can hear someone sprinting full force behind him. Whoever it was behind him had heavy footsteps. He knew it wasn't Jade who was small petite girl. Kevin reaches into his pocket to grab his keys as he's full sprint. He hits the button and the car flashes. He jumps into the car and smashes the lock button. Kevin's heart. Kevin Hart? Not Kevin Hart, Danny lad. Kevin's heart is beating. It's jumping out of his chest. There was no one to be seen. Kevin shoves the key in the ignition and his wheels screech out as he drives home as fast as he could. Kevin gets home and locks the door behind him and is lying in bed terrified. He never hears from Jade again. Kevin doesn't know what would have happened if he went into them public toilets, but he counts himself very lucky. Sorry, Danny lad, I didn't mean to drop my microphone at the end. It's all right, Tom. I thought it um, added uh, like a, a full stop kind of thing, you know, like, poof. Uh, yeah, no, that's scary, that. I, um, yeah, I, luckily I've never really met anyone off Tinder. So, yeah, never had to worry about that, but poor old Kevin, eh? Yes, Danny lad, back in my day, we had pen pals and that was it. None of this uh, swipey lefty and righty uppy or whatever it is. 
you do nowadays, Daddy Lad. Uh, but saying that, I am on Grinder for all the uh, gentlemen out there. Um, or uniform.com. Uh, it's if you're looking for uh, someone in a uniform, if that's your thing, if you're if you're a man or woman who's into uh, uniforms, that's what it's all about. Um, SS uniforms. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, Nazi memorabilia. ISIS flags. Oh, I'd love to see a a man or a woman. Uh, lying on my bed wearing nothing but an ISIS flag pirates I love a pirate some Somalian pirate uh... next up we have next up we have a little segment called uh, voiceover guy reads little two second horror stories and me and you Danny lad will react to them Welcome to Two Second Horror Stories by yours truly, the voiceover guy. Let's begin. You hear your mum calling you into the kitchen downstairs. As you head down, you hear a whisper coming from the closet next to you saying, Don't go in there, honey. I heard it too. What do you think of that, Danny lad? Be annoying. I'm not gonna lie. I I used to hate it when uh, my mum used to shout me into the kitchen and uh, for, for me tea, and it you used to go down, you used to pause whatever you were playing, go downstairs, and we ain't even done. We ain't even done. What about you, Tom? What did you think of that? Oh, Danny lad, I'd be very freaked out if uh, I heard that because my mum's been dead for forty-two years now. Uh, yeah, she died when I was uh, six years old. Oh, God. Oh, I miss uh, Mama. Uh, the, another thing I found out was, why would my mum then say, I hear it too. Very odd. Very odd. You start to drift off in a comfortable and deep sleep. When you hear your name being whispered, and a clammy, sweaty hand placed on your bottom. You live alone. Please leave me alone, I tell Craig. Oh God, what I'll do to uh, drift off in a nice sleep. I haven't slept properly since the 80s because of all the, all the ghoul stories I've been telling. Uh, yes, and, and the little the little digger Craig there. Yes, Craig, Craig certainly, if you fall asleep around him, he's certainly put the willies up you. Let me tell you that right now, Danny lad. You need to tell me, lad. I can't sleep, she whispered, crawling into the bed with me. I woke up cold, clutching the dress that she was buried in. This one I like very much, Danny lad. It's a... Uh... It's the first time you've ever heard the voiceover guy actually have a bit of range with the whole I can't sleep, Danny lad. Uh, and again, we love we love a twist in the tale. This one, you assume it's going to be a ghost story, but it's actually a man who is a necrophiliac. That means they shag dead people. Yeah, Tom, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I was impressed with this one as well. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's spooky. Yeah, beautiful again. I always thought my cat 
had a staring problem. She always seemed fixated on my face. Until one day, when I realized she was always looking behind me. I too uh, wish other guy had had a cat with a gauzy eye. It was uh, really annoying. I was always like, are you looking at me or are you uh, looking at the bird on the tree out the window? It's uh, yes. Brings me back uh, that little uh, little Jerry. Uh, got ran over very sadly by an 18 wheeler truck. Smeared dry down um, Hanover Street where I used to uh, live. You know, opposite Bold Street. Yes, uh, you've you took me back there, voiceover guy, lad. You've uh, really put me on a journey on the path of enlightenment. Uh, next, Danny, lad. They delivered the mannequins in bubble wrap. From the main room, I began to hear popping. Who, who's um, who's ordering mannequins, Tom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, Tom, I can't not touch bubble wrap. If I, if, if something gets delivered, <laughs> guilty, I will pop it. Uh, next one, Tom. Yes, go ahead, Danny. I'll press the uh, button there. There's nothing quite like the laughter of a child. Unless it's 1am and you're home alone. Again, Danny, lad. I, when I lived on this side of the water, uh, I lived near a little park called Birkenhead Park. <laughs> That's right, you may have heard of it. I used to wake up to uh, a lot of kids laughing, if you know what I mean, Daddy Lad. Yes, I used to sleep in till all hours of the afternoon, because I was up all night reading scary stories. And uh, yes, I used to be woken up to many a kids laughing at 1am. That's a different matter entirely. Who's letting their kids play out at 1am? That's what I asked the voiceover guy. The last thing I saw was my alarm clock flashing 12.07 before she pushed her long, rotting nails into my chest and the other hand muffling my screams. I sat bolt upright, relieved it was only a dream. But as I saw my alarm clock, it read... 12.06 I heard my closet door creak open Kinky bastard I say Danny lad Kinky bastard Who, who doesn't love a good nailing in bed eh? uh, But in all seriousness Who wrote this Quentin Tarantino <laughs> The way it starts backwards And then and then it, it, it prolapses into itself So uh, we get the full stent of the story But in an uh, unusual order Big fan of this one uh, voiceover guy uh, Brilliant. The doctors told the amputee that he might experience a phantom limb from time to time. Nobody prepared him for the moment, though, when he felt cold fingers brush across his phantom hand. I have no idea what that one's about, Danny lad. Uh, can't believe that's the one he ended on. It was an unusual one. Unusual one. Uh, yeah. He had phantom fingers running across his phantom hand. Don't know, Tom. Explain that one to me, Danny, lad. I don't know. Don't... Ah. What, what What does that even mean, Danny, lad? Oh, ah. hey, don't, don't get angry with me. I didn't write these, did I, Tom? No. It was probably on Reddit. 
Ah, yes, well, Reddit has a lot to answer for these days. I remember I used to have a pet frog, and uh, I used to read him a lot of ghost stories that he had. And, uh, yes, I, he, he was a bit of a know-it-all, because all he ever said was, uh, I read it, I read it, I read it. <laughs> that was a great segment called uh, The Voiceover Guy Reads. I'm a, I'm a big fan. It's a common theme that goes on. The voiceover guy reads stuff out, like uh, random facts, or, the, in this case, two-second horror stories. Yes, Danny Lad, it was uh, a great uh, I really appreciate that, uh, voiceover guy. I've got a short, another short story, Danny lad. This is about McDonald's in Green Lane. Oh yeah, go ahead, Tom. I know a few, uh, a few horrors who have worked there. If you know what I mean. Uh, go away, Tom. I mean, not go away. Go ahead, Tom. Some say that the McDonald's in Green Lane is haunted by a killer clown. Late November last year. A mother was getting her children in the car when one of the little kids, let's call him Ian, dropped their Happy Meal toy, which was a little red car. It rolled right into a grid. The child left his mother's side to see if he could stop the car from rolling away. But it was too late. The car disappeared into the darkness and Ian was very upset. When all of a sudden, a clown's face appeared from the darkness. Hello, Ian. I am Doddy the Clown. Don't be upset. I have your car. Doddy the Clown placed the car on the rim of the grid. Ian asked how did he get down there, but Doddy the Clown told him he lived down there. And he went bam, 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 bam. I'm loving it, Ian. There's loads of clowns and children down here, Ian. We are having a huge party. Lots of bounty castles. Ian loved bounty castles. Would you like to come down, Ian? Ian looked at his mother, and his mum hadn't even noticed he had left his side. Ian thought twice, but decided to decline the clown. No, sorry. My mother wouldn't like that. I'll just take my car and go. Thank you, though. Dotty the Clown's face went from over-happy to very sad. And he pretended to cry. Boo-hoo! No one ever wants to play with Dotty the Clown. Ian stopped and said, Don't be sad. I'll come back, promise. And Ian grabbed his car, but Dotty the Clown grabbed Ian's hand and bit it clean off. As Ian screamed, his mother looked, but it was too late. The clown had dragged Ian down the grid, and little Ian was never seen again. Fuck the that, that Tom, that wasn't true. None of that was true, and I I I am shocked that you. I think you've made that up. How dare you, Danny Lad? Of course, of course it was true, Danny. Uh, why wouldn't it be true? Well, how do you know what was said between the clown and Ian if no one survived? Hmm? Well, Danny, it's all hypothetical. Uh, we can only assume what was said, of course. I can't know every little detail, but if if you go near that grid in Green Lane by McDonald's, I bet you hear bam, bam. I bet you hear it. Or was it a car going over the grid? 
Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's true, Danny lad. Time for my novel, anyway, Danny lad. <coughs> my wife Lynn and I have been together for six years, married for 11 months. Our entire history together has been very normal, and never once have I noticed anything weird or any red flags. I can't stress enough how out of character this whole thing is for her. Lynn is very kind, intelligent and thoughtful. She'd always been a no-nonsense kind of girl. Being childish or trying to scare me is not something she'd normally do. She doesn't like horror movies and when we first started dating, she agreed to watch The Shining with me because she knew how much I loved horrors. She was so scared she didn't even make it through halfway through the movie. Two months ago, I was in the kitchen making myself some coffee before work. I'd run in a bit late and knew I wouldn't be able to make it to the donut shop for my usual morning fix. I took a sip of coffee and I hurried down the hall towards the front door when I happened to notice that Lynn was peeking at me from around the corner ahead of me. I could only see her eyes and a strand of long dark hair hanging against the wall and the rest of her body was concealed behind the corner. I nearly spilt my coffee when I saw her. I did burn the shit out of my lips. Jeez, Lynn, I said wiping a few dope drops of coffee from my pants. You scared the shit out of me, girl. She immediately popped out of view like a little kid that had been caught. I heard her scurrying off towards the living room, and by the time I got to the front door, she was out of sight. It was really weird and just totally out of character. But also, I found it kind of funny that she had been very more play she had been more playful and a little less serious. I shouted that I loved her and called her a weirdo. As the door shut behind me, I heard her laughing. Her behaviour was a bit odd, but it certainly wasn't something to call a priest over. I forgot about it by lunchtime and by the time I got home, she was her normal self. I didn't bring it up and neither did she, and my life went on. The next incident happened three days later. It was around 2am and I had woken up to get a drink. I was standing at the kitchen island, jug of OJ in my hand, when I felt a strong feeling I was being watched. For whatever reason, I looked down at the floor and saw my wife's smiling face staring back at me. She was peeking at me from the other side of the island, staring up at me with wide, unblinking eyes, grinning, grinning like the Chester cat. I mean Cheshire cat, Danny lad, sorry. I screamed, I'll admit it, not out of irritation, but fear. For some reason, at that moment, I was scared. At the sound of my scream, Lynn scuttled backwards out of view, her hands and feet smacking the tile floor as she hurried out the kitchen on all fours. I didn't run after her or even yell after her. I just stood there, frozen in shock, wondering what the fuck had possessed her to do that. It took me a little longer than I'd like to admit to go back upstairs, but eventually I did. When I got to our bedroom, Lynn was lying on her side asleep or at least pretending to be. I stood there for a while, watching her breathing to be sure she really was asleep, Danny lad. I had the feeling she might jump out at me at any moment. I got into bed, but she didn't. I climbed onto the bed and she didn't even move. Her breathing was soft and deep, and I was starting to wonder if I'd dreamt the whole thing. The next morning, I waited for her to come down for coffee, and after handing her her mug and kissing her on the cheek, I decided to ask her about it. What was that about last night, girl? I asked her, keeping my tone light so it didn't offend her or embarrass her. 
She frowned over her cup of coffee, shaking her head like she had no clue what I was referring to. You were peeking at me again from over there, pointing to the spot on the floor by the kitchen island. She followed my gaze and when she looked back at me she burst out laughing. She laughed so hard that I couldn't help but join her. You creep me the fuck out sometimes, you know that. She giggled and set her cup on the counter and wrapped her arms around my neck. You creep me out all the time, so guess we're even, she teased. We said our goodbyes and I left for work. As I drove, I kept thinking about how creepy he had been seeing her grinning at me from behind the island like that. The sound her hand made on the floor as she crawled away. I told myself she was just trying to be silly, just trying to join in on my love of all things horror. It's not like I was afraid of her, but it still didn't sit right with me. I started seeing her peeking at me more and more. Sometimes she'd be peeking out from behind the couch or the living room curtains. Once she even managed to get inside her grandmother's old trunk that sat at the foot of our bed. I might not have even known she was there at all had the trunk's old hinges had not given her away. She had the lid propped up just enough so that she only half of her face peeked through. She'd been grinning like an excited toddler. It was unnerving. I didn't even know what to say to her. All I could do was stare. When I finally found my voice, I asked her why on earth was she doing this. She didn't answer, but she slowly just closed the lid. Shutting herself inside the trunk, I just walked away, feeling disturbed. I didn't understand why she was doing this, but it clearly made her happy. I just hoped she would have tired of the game quickly. Lynn didn't peek at me for the next two weeks. I started to think she was done with her little weird prank. And I was relieved. We were watching a show on Netflix one night and I jokingly said that I hadn't seen her peeking at me lately and that she must have given up on the spy game. She looked up at me with a small smile and said, maybe I've just gotten better at it. I didn't say anything, but I wondered whether or not she was joking. For the next few days, I couldn't stop thinking about what she'd said. Was she still peeking at me when I wasn't looking and I just hadn't noticed? And if so, what the hell was she getting out of this? I started to feel paranoid, constantly checking whether she was watching me from around the corners or behind the door. I was jumpy whenever I was home and she wasn't even in full view of me. I felt stupid and a little bit crazy. But after a few weeks without incident, I began to relax. I stopped checking behind the furniture and walls and told myself it was just a bad memory. Then a few days ago, things got worse. Lynn left to go to a friend's and I lounged on the couch and played a couple of games on my laptop. Around 9pm, I hopped in the shower and as I was washing the soap from my hair, I felt that awful feeling that I was being watched. I slowly opened my eyes and almost had a fucking heart attack. Lynn was peeking from behind the shower curtain. Her entire head stretched into the shower, leaving just her body outside. Her long, dark hair hung against the curtain, the ends dripping wet with water. Her mouth hung open in a terrible grin, eyes wide and red as if she hadn't blinked in a while. I screamed and jumped back against the wall and she didn't move, nor did her smile waver. Her makeup ran down her cheeks in two black streaks. She looked giddy and completely deranged. I was fucking terrified. 
We stood like that for a few moments, neither of us saying a word. Finally, after what felt like forever, she slowly pulled her head back out of the shower, and I watched her blurry figure through the curtains as she moved towards the bathroom door. A second later, the bathroom door slammed shut, hard enough to rattle the mirror. I screamed again and jumped out of the shower to lock the door. I stayed inside the bathroom for over an hour. Maybe I overreacted to some of you, but joke or not, I wasn't going to put up with this crazy shit anymore. That's what I kept telling myself as I paced in my bathroom, stopping to listen at the door every few minutes. <clears throat> Suddenly, I heard a muffled sound, and I pressed my ear against the bathroom door, straining to listen. I couldn't hear anything, but I envisioned Lynn standing on the other side of that door, giggling at her joke. I felt a surge of anger, and I was beyond pissed at being made to feel scared in my own house, and made to hide in the bathroom for over an hour. All for what? Some joke? If it was a joke, it was a fucking awful one. What the fuck, Lynn? I snapped. This shit is getting me really fucking annoyed. I waited for her to apologise or to call me a tosser, but instead I heard a faint moan, so quiet, I wondered if I heard it at all. And then, complete silence. Lynn? I called out, not able to even hide the shakiness in my voice. I got no response, just my own heavy breathing. I swear to God, girl, just fucking stop it! I yelled, pounding my fist on the door. I waited for her to say something. I'd never screamed her like that before. But there was nothing. Just the occasional drip from the shower head. I won't deny it that I was scared. Too afraid to open the damn door and face my own wife. I waited around 30 minutes or so, which feels like a fucking lifetime when you're scared. Finally, I decided I wasn't going to spend the night hiding in my bathroom. So I got down on my knees and peered under the door. I almost expected to see her face peeking back at me, but thankfully I didn't. I could see straight down the hallway to the top of the stairs, but no Lynn. I didn't know if I should be happy about that or not. I looked for a few minutes, waiting to see her head pop over the top of the stairs, but it never came. I stood up, my hand hovering over the door, mentally preparing myself to open it. I slowly turned the lock with shaky fingers and was about to yank it open when I heard a sound that still makes me feel sick when I think about it. A moan louder than before, but this time I was able to tell just where it came from. I turned my head to the closet as if in slow motion and locked eyes with my wife, who was peeking out at me from the slight gap. Her eyes were still wide as ever, and her mouth was hanging open in the most grotesque, gaping smile I've ever seen. I didn't even scream, I was too scared for that. Her hands were clasped by her chest, body trembling with sheer delight, as if she couldn't bear contain her excitement. A short, a raspy moan bubbled up from her throat, deep and raw, sending a shiver through my entire body. 
Somehow, I had found the ability to pull the bathroom door open and ran as fast as I could, all the way down the steps, snagging my keys and phone from the table in the living room before running outside to my car. I could hear her screaming with laughter behind me, but I didn't hear it getting any closer. I didn't bother shutting the front door, I drove away from the house faster than I legally should have, shivering the entire time, either from fear or the cold. Maybe a little of both. I hadn't grabbed a coat or even a pair of shoes, I was still in my boxies and my hair was still damp. I drove straight to my brother Chris's house, about 40 minutes away, ignoring any and every call and text that I got. I didn't check my phone until I was safely parked on my brother's driveway. Lynn had called me four times and sent a flurry of texts, all wondering where I'd gone and why I left like that. I threw my phone at the dashboard in rage, furious at her nonchalant attitude. My brother and his wife were surprised to see me, especially dressed in just a pair of boxes, but told me to stay as long as I needed. Chris lent me some clothes and asked me what happened. I told him. Lynn and I had a fight, but I didn't go into detail. I didn't want him to think I was overreacting, leaving my wife over a prank, even if it was a strange one. I mean, I hadn't overreacted. I mean, I had encouraged her for years to lighten up instead of being so serious all the time. But this was definitely not what I had in mind. I tried to sleep on the sofa, but my brain wouldn't let me sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw Lynn's face staring back at me from inside the closet. Knowing she'd been in there with me the entire time made my skin crawl. She'd never left the fucking bathroom at all. Instead, she slipped inside the closet and slammed the bathroom door to fool me. The mere thought of going back home gave me anxiety. I tossed and turned, unable to sleep. Chris ended up giving me some sleeping pills, so I was able to get a little rest. My sleep was filled with terrible dreams, all of Lynn's smiling face. I woke up just as the sun started to rise. My sore body ached from the sofa and I felt drained. I knew I had to call Lynn at some point, but I didn't know what to say to her. I wouldn't be going home unless she gave me her word she'd never do any more creepy shit. I just wanted my wife back, her normal serious self never looked so good to me. I was thinking about calling her and telling her that when that familiar feeling came over me. I was being watched. I was staring at the ceiling, my heart in my throat and I didn't want to look away. But the longer I ignored the feeling, the worse it got. My eyes drifted away from the ceiling almost on their own. Her face was pressed up against the window beside the couch. Staring down at me with that same gaping smile, drool dribbled down her lips leaving two long streaks down the glass. I didn't know how long she'd been there but something told me she'd been there for quite a while. Possibly all night. I didn't bother screaming though I was afraid and anger trumped any fear I felt at that moment. I jumped up from the couch. <laughs> I jumped up from the couch and pounded my palm against the glass. Lynn, are you crazy? What the hell is wrong with you? Just go home! I shouted. Now! She didn't move and her ghastly expression never changed. If anything, her smile only grew as if she had never been more elated. 
I could hear Chris and his wife moving around upstairs. And as if Lynn could hear them from her place outside, her head twitched slightly in their direction. And she began to close her mouth slowly. Chris called my name from upstairs, obviously concerned. I turned to see him and his wife Rebecca hurrying down the stairs. When I turned back to the window, Lynn was gone. The only sign she'd been there all was two streaks of drool still dribbling down the glass. I tried to explain to Chris and Rebecca about waking up to see Lynn watching me through their window. They were sceptical, who wouldn't be? Chris and I went outside to the spot in front of the window, but there was no footprints in the dirt. Just a slight indent. Animal, probably, Chris guessed, and I didn't argue. He and Rebecca assumed I dreamt the entire episode, but they didn't understand, and I was too tired to explain it to them. I rang in sick that day and turned my phone off. I didn't want to face Lynn. Just talking to her was a bit too much at that point. I really started to believe that something was irreversibly wrong with her. That no matter what promises she made, we'd never be the same again. The thought saddened me to my core. I cried most of the morning, and by noon I figured I was ready to confront her. Give her one last chance to explain herself. I could at least give her that. I turned my phone on and saw a dozen of texts she'd sent, all from a seemingly concerned wife. Can we talk? I love you. Please call me. I'm really worried. Can you just answer? Just come home. And more of the same. All the texts telling me she'd love me and she wanted me home. How worried she was and not a damn one addressing the crazy shit that she'd pulled. Like she hadn't been acting like a character from a Stephen King book. Even her texts were different. She'd normally text novels just to tell me to pick up a loaf of bread. You'd think she'd have more to say to me after these bizarre shenanigans. I know it probably seemed childish to some of you who are miles away from this situation. But if you saw the way Lynn had looked at me, how she scampered away on all fours like some wild animal, grinning at me from inside the closet like a lunatic, then I think you'd find my reaction warranted. I ended up staying with Chris and Rebecca for another night. I didn't wake up yesterday until afternoon. And thankfully, I didn't see Lynn's face watching me through the window. I don't want to pry her because it's not my place. But is this fight something that can be mended? Rebecca asked. She'd made us both a sandwich for lunch and I knew she wanted to breach the subject without seeming too nosy. I don't know. I just... She's like a different person. I said choosing my words carefully. I still wasn't ready for her or Chris to know the full extent of the batshit craziness I had been dealing with. People change, Ben, but she's still the same woman you married. Maybe you both just need to talk through your issues. Whatever's going on, I'm sure it can be fixed, she said. Ever the peacemaker. I think it's beyond that now. I don't think talking about that would help. I just don't trust her, I said. The words stung in my heart. I missed and loved my wife, but how could I ever live with someone like that? Living in constant fear didn't sound too appealing, Rebecca, nosy cow. Lynn loves you, and she has to be absolutely crushed, she said. I don't know about that, I said. Well, she certainly seemed like it to me, and I've never seen her so upset. Very much unlike Lynn, I know, Rebecca said, shaking her head sadly. It took a full minute for her words to really sink in, and when they did, 
I felt that dread worming its way through my skin. Wait, what do you mean you saw her? You saw Lynn? I asked, my mouth suddenly dry. Rebecca nodded casually as if that fact wasn't a nightmare fuel. Maybe for her it wasn't, Danny lad. She stopped by this morning just after Chris left for work. She said, cleaning the plates from the table. I, I didn't see her car though. Maybe she took an Uber or something. Beck, what did she say? Did, did she come inside? Sweat starting to break out on my forehead. I began looking around, examining corners as though the predator lurked behind them. No, she just asked if you were awake yet and I said you weren't. I asked if she wanted me to wake you up but she said no, just to let you sleep. She said as she washed the dishes. That's all, she didn't say anything else, I asked. No, she looked awful though, like she hadn't slept in days. I think you should call her. I got up from the table, thanked Rebecca for lunch. I felt a little bit better at the, at the knowledge that at least she hadn't come inside. Still, I needed to double check that the doors were locked. I sat for a while trying to figure out what to do next. I didn't want to go home, but I felt that I owed it to Lynn to help her if I could. Hadn't I sworn an oath to love and honour her through sickness and health? Clearly, she was very sick. If she was sick, which I truly believe she was, I had to try and get her help. But I didn't even know where to start. I didn't want to call the police. Besides, what the hell were I going to tell them? That my wife was peeking at me? That she was being a creep? As bizarre as it had been, she still hadn't committed any crimes. Not yet, anyway. The police would have probably have just said I was overreacting. So I did what any husband in my position would have done. I called her mother. I didn't want to, believe me. Her mother... Jane and I were never on best of terms. We'd never fought or anything like that. She just wasn't a very warm person and wasn't really easy to get along with. She hardly ever smiled and when she did, only her lips would move into a thin lip smile, leaving her eyes as blank as before. She gave off this order that I felt like she was permanently on the offensive. I only met her twice and both times were for such short vis visits. I got the impression she didn't approve of me for her daughter. Lynn always ushered us out quickly and she didn't want to make me feel uncomfortable, which I was grateful for. I was always happy to avoid a woman, but this time I needed her help. I really didn't want to talk to her, but I had to talk to someone, and someone who knew Lynn better than I did. So I gritted my teeth and did what I had to do. Yes, she answered already, sounding irritated. <coughs> Sorry, Daniel. Jane, it's me. Ben, do you have a minute to talk? I asked. I could hear her click her tongue in irritation. I'm in the middle of writing some checks, but if you insist, I suppose I can spare a moment. What is it that you want to discuss, Benjamin? It's about Lynn. She'd been acting strange, and I was wondering if you had any idea whether there was something up. It's a bit difficult to follow your rambling, Benjamin. Was it... What was it that you wanted from me? She asked. I could almost see her standing there in a thin sweater and slacks, tapping her fingernails impatiently on the table. I wanted to know if you'd ever noticed any odd behaviour or possibly any mental health issues, I asked. There was a long, uncomfortable pause that I couldn't tell was because she was thinking or something else. Finally, 
After a few seconds, she spoke. I'm not sure if this is one of your jokes, Benjamin, but if so, I don't find the humour in it. Now, I do have business to attend, as I've said, so if you don't mind, she said, but I cut her off before she could get rid of me. Jane, it is not a joke. I am sincerely concerned about Lynn's mental health. Her behaviour has been erratic lately, and I'm very worried about her. I figured, as her mother, you would be as well. I said with frustration, evidently, in my voice. If you're truly concerned about her, then I suggest you get some professional help involved. I don't know what you expect of me, she snapped. I could tell she was seconds away from hanging up the phone for some reason. I was desperate not to let her. I had the feeling that she knew a lot more than she was letting on. Please, if not for me, do it for Lynn, I tried. I heard a faint shaking intake of breath as if she was trying to hold her sternly personnel together, but failing. Jane, what's wrong? I started. Benjamin, I don't know what you want me to tell you. My only advice would be to seek professional help. Do not call again. Goodbye. She hung the phone up. I tried to wrap my head around the call and her refusal to help me. Even if she didn't like me, why wouldn't she want to help her own daughter? I couldn't understand. I tried to replay the conversation desperately to find something that I'd missed. After a while, I remembered her last words to me. Seek professional help. She said those words with a bit of urgency. I could have just been grasping with straws, but no. I was sure her voice had changed ever so slightly when she said that as if they were very important. What had she meant? I assumed she had been referring to medical professionals, but maybe she was referring to someone else. Someone that she didn't, for some reason, feel comfortable saying directly. Or maybe I was just desperate. I waited for Chris to get home, and after a very long, exhausting conversation with him and Rebecca, I convinced them that Lynn truly needed psychiatric help. I didn't tell them everything. I wasn't prepared to go into it yet. But I told them about the last encounter and how she'd hidden in the bathroom peeking at me from the closet. They were obviously shocked, but thankfully they did they believe me. They too just wanted to help her. Still, they didn't think it was all that serious. Weird, maybe, but not dangerous. They just kept saying that Lynn had to be playing some kind of weird joke, maybe for YouTube, Rebecca offered, if only half-heartedly. Chris didn't think we should involve the police just yet. He offered instead to go with me, and I readily agreed. He reasoned that calmly talking to her, trying to coax her into going willingly, was the best course of action. I agreed to do it his way. At least I wouldn't be going in the house alone. We drove over the next morning, just after breakfast. There was no way I was going at night. When we pulled into the driveway, my stomach began to do somersaults. Her car wasn't there, but still didn't let my guard down. The front door was ajar, and for a split second, I thought we'd see her eyes staring through the gap. I was shaking and starting to sweat. Chris, however, was fine. He waited for me to open the door, his hands in his pockets, like he was going on a fucking stroll through the park. I envied his ignorance. I pushed the door open, and was immediately hit with the stench of rot. Chris smelt it too, and he walked around the house behind me, with his nose scrunched up. What do you guys use to clean the floor around here? Shit, Chris mumbled. Shut up, I said. My eyes darted around for any sign of Lynn. The house was deadly quiet and dark 
despite being 10 a.m. in the morning. Obviously, it's a.m. All the curtains were closed up tight, refusing to allow any sunlight inside. If I hadn't left it just two days prior, I had thought the house had been abandoned. We moved through each room, carefully checking any place she might hide, occasionally calling her name. Why the fuck are you looking for her under the couch? Chris asked, eventually. Aren't we looking for your wife? He was looking at me like I was a moron. Just let's go upstairs, I whispered. He shook his head but followed me up the stairs to check the bathroom and spare bedroom. On the way up, my shoes crunched over pieces of glass that looked to be littered over a few steps. I noticed that one of Lynn and my wedding portraits that hung on the wall along the staircase had been smashed. The frame hung crookedly, all the glass removed. I, star- I stared at the picture. A lump formed in my throat. We had taken that photo just after leaving the church, after saying our vows. She looked so beautiful in her white gown. I looked at Lynn's beautiful face. I never dreamt her face would ever be a source of terror for me. We climbed the rest of the steps and checked the spare bedroom, but it looked completely untouched. I was hesitant to go into the bathroom, my fear from that night coming back to me all at once. Chris noticed and offered to go in by himself, but I couldn't let him do that. So we walked in together, checking the closet and shower. The bathroom looked as if it hadn't been touched since the night I left. I don't think she's here, Ben. Why don't you just pack some clothes and we'll try and come back tomorrow or something? Chris said. I nodded and went into our bedroom and shoved some clothes into a duffel bag. When I checked inside our closet, I came across the source of the smell and gagged. (laughs) It's gonna scare the shit out of me. Chris took one look and lost all colour in his face. He had to go and stand by the stairs to get away from the sight and smell. I gazed down in shock at what lay inside my bedroom closet. Soaking into the rug were at least a dozen eyeballs, all carefully laid out in pairs. Some were as large as a quarter, while others were tiny as little marbles. I stared down at the eyes she'd collected from small animals. And I wondered how she'd gotten them and shuddered at the thought. Man, I thought I had it bad with Becky's shoes addiction, but fuck me, your wife's in here collecting eyeballs. Chris said gagging. Ben, I think we should go. I feel sick. Alright, I grabbed my duffel and shut the closet door on my new nightmare. I stepped out into the hall and took a deep breath of air. I could taste the rot on my tongue and couldn't help but gag. Who the fuck lines up eyeballs in their closet like that? Chris said. I tried to tell you she needed help. She doesn't need help, Ben. She needs a fucking exorcist, he said. Are you coming or what? I can't stand the smell. And he... His words died in his throat and his eyes grew wide in fear. I didn't ask him why. I could feel it. Someone was watching me and I didn't think it was the eyes in the closet. I turned around and my eyes my eyes slowly scanned the bedroom. Christ, as I finally saw what we'd missed. Under the bed, K 
curled up on her side watching us with excitement of a child on Christmas morning was my wife. She held her hands together just under her chin and they were shaking eagerly. Now that she knew she'd been found, I could hear the noise she was making, a sort of hiccuping sound in her throat as the excitement was too much for her. It was unnerving to say the least, wide eyes and that same huge smile. Everything in me told me to run, but I forced it away. This was my wife. No matter how twisted she was, still the same woman that I married. I had to help her. Lynn, I said softly. She didn't respond, but her head bobbled back and forth in two quick little motions as if she was nodding. Baby, I just want to help, okay? Can you, can you let me do that? I asked. I had to take a single step forward, approaching it like some kind of dangerous animal. I love you, girl, I said softly, taking another step closer. She let a tiny moan escape her wide open mouth and I had to resist the urge to run. His shoulders were starting to quiver and her eyes grew as large as saucers. I crouched down so I could see her better and immediately saw the blood. Her hands were covered in it. They trembled more the closer I got as if she was barely able to contain herself. Lynn, are you hurt? Are you bleeding? I said. She bobbed her head again, her fingers moving up and down as if she's playing an invisible piano. They occasionally grazed her chin, leaving smears of blood. I wanted to recoil in disgust. The smell that was coming off her was revolting. I could feel the vomit trying to climb up my throat. Her lips were dry and stretched thin, blood seeping between the cracks. I knew she wouldn't come out on her own, but I didn't want to leave her in the state she was in. I scooted closer and reached out to her. The exciting hiccuping sounds got louder and her hands shook, fingers flexing. It was then that I could see the blood oozing from in between her fingers. Oh my god, Lynn, you're bleeding. Obviously. I said instinctively I reached out to take her hand, but before I could even touch her, her hand sprang out towards me. A sharp pain shot through my arm and I fell back on my ass. My arm burned and I could see the blood dripping down onto the carpet. I looked back at her in shock and saw her grinning madly. Her fingers clutching a large shard of glass. Are you alright in there? Chris asked from behind me. I turned my head slightly and nodded to him cradling my arm to my chest. When I turned back to face Lynn, I saw that her focus had shifted. She wasn't looking at me anymore, and she wasn't smiling anymore either. She was staring past me, her eyes glaring at Chris, the way a hungry lion might stare at an antelope. Her mouth was still hanging open, but it was twisted into a snarl. I got to my feet and began walking backwards down the hall, afraid to take my eyes off her. Are you bleeding? Chris asked. The moment the words left his mouth, Lynn started fast scooting from underneath the bed, the shard of glass still in her fist. Chris, run, go! I yelled. He must have been too afraid to move, because a second later, I felt my back bump into him and he was standing at the top of the stairs, staring in horror at what was my wife. Lynn had crawled completely out from underneath the bed and stood in the bedroom doorway, her face twisted in rage, her whole body was visibly tense. Blood ran down her fingers and onto the floor. 
Jesus, Lynn, Chris said. You eh, uh, playing hide and seek? I reached back and pushed him down the steps. Move your ass, Chris, I said quietly, but as firmly as I could. Lynn bobbed her head in fast, sharp motions and began to grin, stretching her mouth open wider and wider so that her chin seemed to touch her chest. I heard Chris mutter a prayer and then he was running down the stairs. I stood at the top of the stairs, stuck between a love for a woman who clearly needed serious help. I only want to help, I said, choking back tears. Her eyes focused on me once again as she slowly lifted the glass, holding it out in front of her, and then she started sprinting towards me, grinning with utter excitement. Thankfully my body took over and I flew down the stairs, skipping two or three at a time. I made it to the front door before I felt her leap onto my back, wrapping her arms around my neck. Her open mouth next to my ear so that I could hear those terrible hiccuping sounds up close. I shook it off, knocking it to the floor. I felt searing pain in my back, but I tore open the front door and bolted it to the car. Chris was standing in the front yard talking on the phone with the police and I didn't say a word. I just ran and jumped in my car. Chris took the hint and followed me, still on the phone, to 999. I was watching the rear view mirror. Sure, I'd see her there, running after us, but I never did. I went straight to A&E and got 11 stitches in my arm and 3 on my back. The police asked a lot of questions and went back to the house to do a search, but of course, Lynn wasn't there. They advised me to stay with a friend or a relative for a while and file a restraining order as soon as I could, but none of these things would matter. Somehow, I just knew. I dropped Chris off at home and went to a hotel an hour away. I wanted to put as much distance between me and Lynn as I could. This is where I'd been for the last four hours. I thought maybe the police would find her. Maybe they'd get her the help she desperately needs. But now, I don't think so. Because 40 minutes ago, I got a text from an unknown number. Just three words. I found you. <sighs> what do you think of that, Danny lad? It's fucking long, Tom. Very fucking long. But yeah, it was really good. I'm very impressed. <clears throat> I'm just wondering if you brought uh, a spare pair of undergarments or uh, tracksuit bottoms, because this next story, Danny lad, will uh, make you shit your pants. Oh yes, Tom. That's why I'm here, my friend. Uh, well, that's why you're here, Tom. Uh, take us away. Jack had recently moved into his fiancée Zoe's apartment in Seal Street, Liverpool. All the way from Norwich, the pair met a number of weeks ago via Tinder when Jack was in Liverpool for a stag do. The pair had hit it off and before they knew it, they were very much in love. Jack had proposed pretty much straight away and Jack had got a job at the contact company, essentially making cold calls to people who had been missold PPI. On Jack's uh, hey, Tom. Y yes, Danny Rod. Uh, PPI, that, that's what I get when I jump into kids' swimming pools. <laughs> uh, Alright, Danny Rod. On Jack's first few days, he was introduced to a good-looking chap called Jack. <laughs> PPI, I get it now, Danny Rod. Because you're essentially saying that you got PP, which means we in your eye. Very good, very good. Uh, now, where was I? On Jack's first few days, he was introduced to a good-looking chap called Joe. 
Joe shook Jack's hand and said, Oh, I've seen you around here. How are you finding the job? I'm from the team upstairs. You're Zoe's fella, aren't you? I'm Zoe's friend. My sister is really close friends with Zoe. The pair really hit it off and became close friends over the following weeks. Jack invited Joe on a few nights out with Zoe and her friends. They used to drink around the Matthew Street area and Concert Square. Until one day, on his way to work, Jack saw Joe sitting on the steps outside of work with his head in his hands. Jack asked Joe if everything was okay and Joe replied, Not really mate, no. They've let me go. I'm in deep shit mate. Joe confided in Jack that he'd been caught stealing food out of the communal fridge in work and he was on the bones of his arse. I can't afford my rent. I can't afford food. I have crippling debts up to my eyes Jack. I got my eviction it was a few weeks prior and I got till the end of the week. Jack felt awful and said don't worry about it. You can stay with me and Zoe for a few weeks until you have a new job. She won't mind. Joe thanked Jack and said he would repay him. A-S-A-P, Danny lad. You reckon Zoe would be sound, yeah? Ah, uh, yes, Danny lad. Zoe was very happy that uh, Jack had been making friends because, he's all, as I said earlier on, he's not from the area. So he doesn't have many, well, he doesn't have any friends apart from Zoe. Anyway, the first few weeks are great. Joe helped around the house and whilst Jack was at work, Zoe and Joe would go out and about handing out CVs. Joe would go out for a few hours each night and give Jack and Zoe a few hours peace. He always come home smelling the booze, which Jack thought was odd considering he hardly had any money. After another week or so, Joe turned up with blood all over his face, screaming in pain. Jack and Zoe rushed to his aid and rang 999. Joe tells the story on the way to the Royal Hospital about each night he would be going out to the local pub and be playing poker with some lads. But this particular night, Joe had won, and won big, 20k. The people who Joe played with are not the nicest of people, and are called the Crocky Crew. One of the lads didn't like the fact that they had lost and attacked Joe, smashing his face with a pint glass before getting his pocket knife out and removing Joe's eye. After a few days rest and a major operation, Joe had left the Royal Hospital, but was missing his eyeball. Zoe would stay at home whilst Joe was recovering and Jack would go to work. Over the next few months, Joe's presence would put a strain on Jack financially. Jack and Zoe's wedding fund would get less and less as they had to keep dipping into it to cover for Joe being in the house with them. Joe would keep the pair up most nights because he'd be crying in agony. Jack's performances at work got steadily worse and worse and Jack could barely afford the bus fare to work. They couldn't even afford proper bandages for Joe's face. Zoe got some masking tape and a clean cotton pad she used to take her makeup off and stuck it to Joe's eye to keep it from getting infected. Jack and Zoe started to fight a lot. Jack asked Zoe if Joe's sister knew of any of Joe's friends, or if he could live with her. Zoe shouted, How would I know who Joe's sister is? Ask him! Jack argued that it was her friend's brother, and Zoe said, No, I've never heard of Joe's sister. And Jack was very confused. After a month or so, Zoe realised 
that she was a bit late on her monthly blob. After running to the shop and buying a pregnancy test, she announced to Jack that she was pregnant. Jack was over the moon. So was Joe. Joe said that he's well enough to start looking for work again and was very sorry for the burden he had caused. Jack went to bed that night but was awoken at 1am to whispered shouting coming from the living room. He sat up and noticed Zoe wasn't in his bed. Jack opened the door to see Zoe walking down the hallway back to the bedroom. Zoe opened the door and was shocked to see Jack standing there. Jack asked what was going on and Zoe said it was nothing to worry about and Joe was just watching TV a little bit too loud and it kept her awake. She said maybe it was just the hormones making her angry. The next morning Jack went to work and broke his news to his supervisors about his fiance being preggers. Everyone was happy for Jack. They asked how Zoe's mum and dad took it and Jack informed them they haven't actually told them yet, only Joe and them knew. His boss asked if Joe was his brother and Jack said no, he actually met him here at work, he worked for one of the teams upstairs. His boss looked at him funny, we don't have a team upstairs. Jack laughed and said yeah you do and his boss informed him that he 100% doesn't and never has. This rang alarm bells for Jack. Jack asked to be excused and ran all the way home. Upon entering his house, Jack could tell it was eerily quiet. He put the key in the door very quietly and entered the building. No one was downstairs, so Jack crept up the stairs and entered his bedroom. Zoe was lying on the bed all alone. Her pregnancy had really made her tired these past few weeks. He asked where had Joe gone and Zoe had no idea. Jack then told her all about work and how they've never had a team upstairs where Joe apparently worked. He told her all about how Joe said that his sister was friends with Zoe in school but Zoe was 100% sure she had never heard of Joe or her sister. His sister she assumed it was Jack's friend and Jack assumed it was Zoe's friend. The couple waited for Joe to come home but he never did. They never saw Joe again and to this day Jack asks himself Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe But I hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe I've been married a long time ago Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for having me, Daniel, lad. Uh, and thank you to all the wafters out there. Uh, don't forget to pick up your haunted Wirral or Liverpool books in your local Waterstones. And, uh, if the good Lord on. willing and the creeks don't rise, I'll see you next Monday or Thursday.
friendship, 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 that'll never, ever, never, ever, 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 and this is a friendship that'll never,